This is the Tom Bigby Tales, and I'm your host, Shannon Evans. This podcast is about a small town in northeast Mississippi on the Tom Bigby River called Columbus. Today's podcast is about a prominent African-American citizen from Columbus, Mississippi, who was interred in Sandfield Cemetery. Robert Gleed, one of the three first African-American Mississippi legislators from Lowndes County, was born a slave in 1835 near Richmond, Virginia. According to a letter to Cornelius Lincoln from Gleed's daughter, Anna, his father, her father was a white man named Nelson Gleed. Excuse me. Robert Gleed's father was a white man named Nelson Gleed. The exact location of his Gleed's birth is unknown, and we do not know how or when he came to Mississippi. We do know, however, that he escaped from his master at the age of roughly 17, and patrollers captured him in Lowndes County in 1855. According to one source, Gleed escaped to follow his sweetheart, who had been sold to slave owners in Lowndes County. Upon capture, he refused to reveal the name of his original master. Thus, Gleed was auctioned off on the steps of the Columbus Courthouse to a Colonel Long. During the Reconstruction era after the Civil War, Robert Gleed became a successful merchant who owned the buildings on Gleed's Corner, as well as several other properties and homes in Columbus. Gleed's Corner is located at the corner of 5th and 2nd Avenue North. According to the city alderman books, Gleed served as a member of their board in May of 1869. He was also the president of the Mercantile Land and Banking Company, and he served as the president of the Chamber of Commerce. In 1869, Gleed joined the Republican Party and received their nomination for state senator, going on to defeat Charles Sullivan, the white candidate for the Democratic Party, by 40 votes. He served in the state legislature from 1870 to 1873. Gleed's service in the state legislature was merely one aspect of his campaign against white supremacy. He also attempted to push back against the culture of racial segregation on trains. One inflammatory Clarion Ledger editorial during his first months as senator villainized Gleed for refusing to leave a whites-only train car. The editorial also accused him of being an advocate of social equality and stirring up hatred against whites. In November of 1871, Klan intimidation had reached a boiling point in the South, and congressional investigators came to Columbus, led by General Blair, to examine the condition of affairs in Southern states. The Ku Klux Klan Act, H.R. 320, had been enacted in April of 1871, outlawing intimidation and giving President Grant the ability to declare martial law. Gleed's testimony before investigators included a lengthy discussion on whippings for Republican for voting Republican. He also discussed the whippings of black teachers and the murder of black men on both the Halbert and Durden plantations. According to Gleed, the Klan sought to disenfranchise black Republicans, which outnumbered white voters in Lowndes County. Two years following his testimony, 
Gleed became completely disillusioned with his ability to affect change at the legislative level. On November 6, 1873, the Jackson Clarion Ledger reported he gave up his seat in the Senate. He went on to accept an appointment as lieutenant colonel of the Lowndes County Militia, and he decided to run for sheriff against fellow Republican H.W. Lewis, whom the Clarion Ledger referred to as a, quote, mean white carpetbagger on October 2nd of 1873. The radical press preferred Gleed to Lewis. One September editorial in the Vicksburg Herald lauded Gleed's intellect and referred to him as a harmonious radical. In December of 1874, Lowndes County Democrats were concerned about the upcoming election and formed the White Liners to intimidate Black voters. The weekly Mississippi Pilot reported on June 26, 1875, the circulation of handbills which threatened the jobs and access to medical treatment of anyone who voted Republican. The White Liners did not limit their activities to Lowndes County, and the Mississippi plan of Democratic redemption was in full swing across the state. In Vicksburg, Democrats demanded the resignation of the town's black sheriff, Peter Crosby, and went on to kill him and over 300 blacks in the surrounding county. In September of 1875, the White Liners killed at least 50 blacks in Hines County and murdered a white teacher who taught in black schools. In late October of 1875, the Klan descended on the Dover community in Yazoo County, and two white teachers were killed because they dared to vote Republican. It was in this environment of fear and intimidation that the perfect storm was brewing for the Lowndes County Sheriff's election of 1875. Local Democrats held meetings all over the county daily for two weeks prior to Election Day. Each meeting was attended by 25 to 50 young men from Columbus who would drag along a 24-pound cannon that they would fire. The cannon allegedly came from their grandfathers who fought in the Civil War. The Columbus Brass Band would be in attendance. Speeches were held most nights on the courthouse steps, inciting voters to take action and protect their interests. The night before the election, the Republicans planned to hold a torchlight parade, and Gleed knew that such a political spectacle might attract violence. One columnist in the November 13, 1875 issue of the weekly Mississippi Pilot reported that Gleed advised his supporters to arm themselves only for the purpose of defense in case of attack. By 8 p.m., as Gleed's supporters gathered at Union Academy on the south side, a large group of whites gathered at Hatch's drugstore, which sat along the parade route. When a band of drummers and paraders marched past, the whites rushed Gleed supporters and smashed in the heads of their drums. All was reportedly quiet for the next hour. Then a fire was reported on the southeast side of the depot. The first department, the, fir- the fire department hitched up the steam engine and raced toward the fire. Five minutes later, another fire was seen. It was George Curtis's old shed on 4th Avenue South. A third fire was reported at the old Taylor stable west of the courthouse behind what is currently Zachary's restaurant. A call went out that the blacks were torching the city. The white crowd raced home for their weapons and the Columbus riflemen set up pickets at each corner of town. 
squads of armed white men moved up and down the streets. Mounted men scoured white neighborhoods for black men. The Alabamians mysteriously arrived to, quote, help. Blacks fled town and hid. Any African-American found on the street was ordered to halt. If they did not, they were either wounded or killed. Squads were then sent to the homes of leading members of the GOP and told if there were any more fires, they and their families would be held responsible. Scores of white men and boys followed the squads as they descended on Robert Gleed's home. He and his wife were not there. The mob broke into his house and destroyed his furniture and belongings. They slashed the breast of all his wife's clothing. Show Some in the crowd prepared to light fire to his house, what were stopped short by the squad leaders. Gleed, however, was nowhere to be found. Neither was his family. His friend, the white attorney, Mr. Lincoln, hid him in his well behind his home on 3rd Avenue South, just blocks away from the chaos and mayhem. His wife and children had already been hidden out of town. That night, four men were killed. John Gordon was killed in front of Gleed's store on Market Street. The teen George Marshall was killed in front of Mrs. Benoit's house on Main and Sixth. Alex Latham, a disabled shoemaker, was dragged from his house at 4 a.m. and shot in the street. Essex Green and his wife headed into their cotton field at daybreak the next day and were allegedly ordered to halt, but ran. Green was shot in the head and his wife was wounded. Election day was quiet in town. There was understandably a low black voter turnout. Those who did venture to the polls were warned by white liners to vote a straight Democratic ticket. The final vote was tallied, and a Democratic candidate Hargrove won by a landslide. Robert Gleed, by that time, was on his way to Paris, Texas, with his wife and children, running to escape most probable lynching in his adopted hometown of Columbus. Abandoning his properties, his businesses, he fled with the clothes on his back to start over. He left behind his general store, 295 acres of farmland, three city lots, and his home. By March of 1879, Gleed reappeared in Columbus. He was appointed Deputy Internal Revenue Collector by the Hayes administration. The Clarion Ledger printed a scathing article describing him as a fugitive who has dared to, quote, creep back home. The editor states the idea of Gleed entering a gentleman's business and charging him for defrauding the government is aberrant. In April of 1883, the state ledger reported that Gleed wanted to establish a lecture system to benefit, quote, colored people. Governor Lowry donated $5 to show his support. He spoke before the state legislature later in August, promoting the idea of teaching African-Americans in Mississippi how to be industrious, and again, Gleed was supported by Lowry. Gleed then lectured on the topic at King Solomon Baptist Church later that same week in Vicksburg. Days later, he presented lectures in Columbus to the Black community at Union Academy teaching economic methods. Two days later, he repeated his lecture at the Lowndes County Courthouse by invitation. In April of 1885, the Earnest Workers Association appointed
appointed Gleed to lecture on improving the industrial habits of African Americans in, in Mississippi. The Vicksburg Herald reported that he was well-respected for his lectures across the state. We, as the Board of Immigration and Agriculture of the state, take pleasure in recommending him to the citizens, both white and colored, believing from information before us that he is doing valuable work in impressing upon his people the necessity of a moral and industrious life. This from a letter signed by Governor Robert Lowry and E.G. Wall, the Commissioner of Agriculture. Gleed then disappears from local history after 1885. He did return to Texas, where he was known on the state's African-American lecture circuit. Robert died July 24, 1916, in Paris, Texas. He is buried in Sandfield Cemetery in Columbus, Mississippi, in a fenced-off family plot next to his wife and close to his schoolteacher daughter, Annie, and his son, Robert Jr. I want to thank you for coming with me on today's Tom Bigby Tales. Until next time.